fellow ag nerds. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and if you're curious about where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production, you have found the right show. It dawned on me, I think last year maybe, that I've not been doing enough here on this show to really understand ag technology through the perspective of the people who were actually buying the stuff or supposed to be buying the stuff. I'd bring on founders and investors and researchers to talk about these innovations, but seldom the actual end user. Sure, we bring on plenty of farmers on this show, but not with the intention of asking them about how the technology is being used and how it's going. Obviously, I wanted to remedy this situation by launching a series this year called The Tech-Enabled Advisor. These are episodes where I profile an early adopter of ag technology about how they're using it to serve their farmer customers. So as you've heard in previous episodes, if you've listened to 255 or 259, we're talking to agronomists or ag retailers or perhaps even some merchandisers about how they're using technology to serve these farmer customers. So we're going to continue with this series once a month through the end of the year. I've already got every single one of them booked up with various companies that I'm partnering with on this series. So in today's episode, though, we're going to focus specifically on the evolution, application, and future of drones in agriculture. Now, drones have been a part of the ag tech hype for over a decade now and have been criticized, like many ag technologies have, as a solution looking for a problem. But I actually think, and and this is sort of a recent revelation for me, that they're a good example of why a solution looking for a problem actually isn't always such a bad thing if it leads to real use cases down the road. And our guest today will tell you that just in the past maybe four years or so, he's really seen some important applications come along for drone technology. Also, drones are an example of how some ag tech can take a long time to really show an impact. Now, it's too early to definitively claim that drones are going to end up living up to all this hype they've had for over a decade now, but actually it's looking a lot more promising, at least in my opinion. To make sure that we hear from different types of guests and different stories on this tech-enabled advisor series, I've asked various ag tech companies to partner with me on these episodes. The very first one to say yes and actually make it so that I committed myself to the series is the sponsor of today's episode, Field Agent by Centera. Field Agent enables agronomic advisors to make more timely decisions by taking data they're already using on a daily basis, such as weather, equipment, soil, satellite, and field operations, and integrating it with drone data, which we're going to talk a lot about today, and their machine learning capabilities. This allows advisors to engage with growers when and where they want to be engaged and have data-driven management conversations right on their agronomic platform. Sentara also sponsored episode 255 uh, with Matt Larson from CHS, so go check that one out after this episode if you didn't hear it the first time around. On today's episode, though, I'm joined by Todd Vots, who's a technical agronomist for the Channel Seed brand, part of Bayer Crop Science. Based in Southeast Minnesota, Todd works with channel salespeople and their seed dealers, which they call seedsmen, to make sure they're up to date with technologies and to solve problems at the field level. Todd's a farmer as well. He lives about 30 minutes from his home farm where he grew up. He's got a master's in agronomy from Texas A&M, and he stayed down there in Texas to focus on cotton for a while before coming back to the Midwest, where he has now focused for several years. 
Todd has been interested in drones for over a decade, but as you're about to hear, it took a while for them to really find a place in his day-to-day work. Within the channel brand, we, we used to do where we would have a traveling truck per se, and we would go around and um, do trainings and, and invite customers in and do different things. And, and that was about back in 2011, maybe 2010, somewhere in that time frame, about 10 years ago, I guess. And I came across some article of utilizing, and that time it was a fixed wing, I believe it was called a crop cam to send up and, and get uh, images. And I thought, boy, that would be really cool to send that up in some local fields and then use that imagery to help kind of, uh, you know, talk to our customers and show them what's going on in the local fields, kind of from a different perspective, an aerial perspective than what we're just seeing on the ground. So that was kind of my first look at it. But of course, then once I started kind of digging into it, and at that time it was primarily a Canadian deal that was going on. And so they had, I guess, more lax FAA regulations. So within the U.S., anything that was done commercially, you know, it was pretty tamped down as far as regulations within the FAA. So it wasn't until really 2014, 2015, I think, when the FAA came up with their new rules and regulations that allowed more commercial use of our, what we call our, our UAVs um, currently. So, yeah, it's it's been kind of a 10-year progression for myself. You know, was it 2014, 2015 that you actually started kind of using them day to day or is that just when you kind of started tinkering with them? Well, yeah. So it was 2014, I think, is when I when I got my first, what I would call a, a UAV or drone. It was not anything like what we would see today. Very manual operated. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing with it. But it was pretty cool looking. It had all kinds of antennas and wires and it looked uh, very uh, futuristic, but very difficult to fly. None of the automation that we have with the drones that we're using right now. So it was a very steep crash course learning how to fly it. And yeah, fortunately, unfortunately, that that was kind of a short-lived endeavor. I think it was within that first summer I had a bit of a fly off on it, ended up finding it later, but um, for me, put it back on the shelf and uh, waited for another couple of years. A fly off, that means you had it up in the air and it, you kind of lost it? <laughs> <laughs> it? It was one of those uh, moments where I, I was using some language I probably couldn't use on this podcast, but I put it up in the air just to demonstrate it to some of our seedsmen that we were using in, in I guess I could say I was trying to show off with it as to what I could do with it. And and I think what happened was the, the GPS on it was gone. And at that point, then it was just kind of doing what it wanted to do. And it, yeah, it uh, disappeared in the horizon. But fortunately, a couple of days later, a neighbor found it in their backyard and uh, pulled the chip out of it. And they could see where it took off from. So they, they knew the individual. And so a few days later, the individual called me and says, guess what? We found your drone. So, um, it was a few hundred dollars later, kind of uh, got it back flying condition. But yeah, like I said, after that, why then it uh, just kind of went on the shelf and it's, it's actually still on the shelf. So I haven't flown it since. Yeah. And, and then how long was it before you, you felt like there was some better technology out there so that, you know, maybe it was more commercial ready. You bet. So I think it was 2017 
we were kind of, again, always kind of looking at them and, and playing around and tinkering with some ideas of how we could utilize drones or UAVs um, within our responsibilities of what we're doing, both on the training side, you know, whether it's, again, with our uh, our seedsmen, our uh, salespeople, and or with our customers. And, and of course, and, you know, working with a, within the industry aspect, there's, there's all the different liabilities issues that kind of come into play with it as well. But yeah, it was 2017, 2018 when we, uh, I guess, finally jumped in you know, with both feet on it. And fortunately, I kind of got to be on the front end of that again within the agronomists that, that I work with at least. And the biggest part is, is trying to figure out you know, what can we do with this? You know, it's, it's brand new. And, you know, is it something that everybody should have? You know, again, just talking for me specifically within the Channel C brand, but really, you know, again, working with Bayer on, you know, Bayer as a whole, utilizing it within research and then within production and, and on the sales side of things. So there's just a lot of questions about, you know, how can we use them? Um, who should have them? And then also, of course, following the rules and regulations, you got to be, uh, say, a licensed pilot. You got to get the Part 107 license to be able to fly it um, commercially, in a sense. So there's there was some hoops that you have to jump through to be able to do it. And so yeah, so it's been a an interesting learning curve. And I wouldn't necessarily say that we're uh, running with the whole project yet, but we're getting pretty darn close and we got a lot of units into a lot of people's hands right now and doing a lot of great stuff with it. So, Yeah, it seems like it's not only been the hardware itself, but also sort of the guidance type software that the drone uses, but also sort of the imagery software that goes along with that. All of those seem to have evolved together in recent years. Is that true or has one of them been more of the bottleneck than the others? Well, you know, I think... One of the biggest advancement is just the automation of, of the UAV itself. It just becomes so simple, you know, to put your drone out. And I mean, obviously, primarily what I use are DJI, the Mavic 2 Pro. Um, I've used the Phantom 4. And like I said, from that very first UAV that I had, I mean, it's centuries ahead of that first one on things that you can do with it. But the simplicity of it, of, you know, setting up a flight pattern, on your phone, on your iPad, you can do it in the office, you know, the night before, and you just go out, pull up that flight plan, you know, turn your drone on, turn your uh, remote on and uh, punch it in and off it goes. And then it just goes and flies by itself and comes back, lands by itself. So it's just amazingly simple, obviously, as long as everything works as it's supposed to. And so I think that's one of the biggest breakthroughs you can see a huge amount just from a regular RGB camera that comes, you know, factory preset on whatever drone it is that you have. But now with all of the different sensors that you have and from whatever software program that you use, you know, and Sentara is a great example of that, of the different agricultural-based sensors, software, and all that different things that you can utilize to, you know, start getting analytics on the field and whether it's using again an NDVI filter, um, what all the different analytics that they can do with stand counts. And I mean, it's just, it's beginning to be a bit endless as far as the possibilities that you can do. And then of course, it's just finding the time to do it all gets to be the challenge as well. And like anything else, once you get something that's really cool, it's just making sure that you're getting all your 
regular stuff done and then being able to play with the, the really fun stuff and, and do a lot of investigating and find stuff out. So, And by that, you mean like investigating sort of the full capacity of what the technology can do? A- absolutely. Yeah. Because again, it's just so much of it, I think that, and a lot of it is I'm speaking for myself, but for me, it's just being very inquisitive on it and trying to figure out, you know, what is it that we're really seeing here and how much is it going to impact the crop development yield? And so if we're seeing this with this particular sensor, and again, I'm, I'm just on the very forefront and I'm just using an NDVI sensor for the first time this year to kind of see what I can pick up with that. And like I said, there's, there's just tons of different things out there that you can do. And um, the possibilities are, are going to be quite endless in that sense. And have you looked into, you know, sort of the limitations of drones versus satellite imagery and how you look at that? Well, so I think probably the biggest limitation of both a satellite and a UAV is cloud cover. If you have a satellite going over and you get an imagery, and, and of course it depends on, you know, the company that you're getting them through. If you have any cloud cover that's covering your field that you're looking for at the time the satellite's going over, that can be problematic. So you, know, you may not get the imagery when you're needing it. And even if they get the image the day before, or maybe a couple of days before it's analyzed and you get it in your hands. With the UAV, again, cloud cover can be a factor. And if it's primarily like a partly cloudy base, if you're trying to fly some fields. And, and so again, it's not going to impact you if you're just up and flying around, getting some pictures and different things like that. But often what I like to do again is to fly an entire field stitch the imagery together so that you get a full mosaic of the field. And so then if you have cloud cover with that, and then you got some spots with clouds and with not, that can be a bit of a challenge. Sometimes midday, if you're flying and doing that, you get some glare off the crop. So kind of a, a mid-morning, late afternoon is kind of the best time, a little bit softer light to fly it. But the big advantage with a, a UAV is that, you know, you can say, I want to fly this field today, tomorrow, next week, and then you can kind of work around that other stuff. And if it's full full clouds and you've got a week of just cloudy weather, that's fine too. You can fly it with full clouds. It's just kind of when you have that partial sun, partial clouds going back and forth situation. So your ability to really plan when you're getting that imagery and you can get much more consistent imagery, I think, with the UAV versus what a satellite can do. But, you know, if you're covering you know, 10,000 acres in a week, then your satellite imagery is probably the right way to go. It's, you know, again, it's just the feasibility of, of getting to where you need to go and covering the amount of acres that you want to see in a given amount of time. But that can be a limitation. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, I appreciate you kind of indulging me on, on a lot of that background, kind of the high level drone stuff. Let's maybe talk more about now how you're using drones in your work. When is it necessary? Do each of your seedsmen, do they all have drones? Kind of how are you using them, practically speaking? So just again, within our organization, within the channel brand, within Bayer, um, our sister brands as well within the DeKalb Asgrow and, and many of our regional brands. Most of the agronomists now have UAVs. And most of us are flying a, a Mavic 2 Pro. And again, this is just within the last, I guess just in the last year that we've really made sure that all agronomists have had a, a drone. As far as our salespeople go, I'm sure some of them have them personally. I'm not sure that we've necessarily equipped them from a company perspective, but 
again, within the channel seed brand perspective, many of our seedsmen uh, now also have a drone as well. I would say many, maybe you know, 25% actually have one, and it, that's getting to be more and more all the time. So, you know, like I said, it's it's ramping up fairly quickly. Biggest challenge is kind of staying ahead of the curve and and helping people understand how to use them, the best time to use them, and again, our primary focus is on corn and soybeans and the geography that I cover. So. From our perspective, we can start flying these uh, UAVs really as soon as the crop emerges, once we get it in the ground and, and once it begins to emerge, um, and then getting out and then utilizing the, the imagery to do stand counts is a brand new thing that we can do within the last one to two years. Really cool technology that you can fly a whole field and, and to be able to count the plants early on. Technology isn't quite there yet to be able to determine, you know, do we need to replant part of this field? Kind of where is it at? Is it on edge or whatever? But oftentimes you're trying to do that on the corn growth stage, you know, kind of the VE, V1 stage, the first truly stage. With the technology we have now, you kind of start to get your best counts at about V2. So we're pushing the envelope on some of that and trying to get some stand counts early so we can help our growers and customers make some decisions earlier on if they need to do some replanting in, in certain spots in their field. But if nothing else, it's just a huge asset to resource to even go, you know, even a field that doesn't have any problems to be able to get up above that field, fly it, get a really good stand count. And again, primarily for corn, I've also had some pretty good success with soybeans getting up and, and flying and you can get good uh, assessment of the field. And, and really what we're looking for too, is that oftentimes if you're looking at it from the road, you're not able to walk the whole field. Is there something in the back of the field that you're just not seeing that maybe has an issue or wouldn't necessarily be something that you would go in and replant. But if it's, you know, 10% lower population than the rest of the field, or if there's just something going on that you wouldn't necessarily have picked up walking the field or, just not getting to that particular area of the field, you can then have that history to work off of so that, again, as you're progressing through the season and or particularly at harvest time, if you get to that part of the field and you're saying, oh, man, that's why is the yield so crappy here? We can go back and say, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we lost 15% of the stand. You know, and, and after you kind of find it with the UAV, you can actually go to that spot and kind of determine what it was that, that created that loss of stand so that you can potentially fix that problem the next year, or if nothing else, at least have a better understanding of why things happened the way they did, rather than oftentimes we're sitting there doing a postmortem on stuff, trying to figure out what happened, and we're just doing kind of a guessing game at that time. So, you know, you can do that with stand counts early on, and then now that we're moving in more of a, a vegetative analysis, so we can start looking at just general crop health and well, right now we're stuck in this super hot, dry heat wave. And so, you know, I'm looking at this as a great opportunity to get out and you could start flying some fields and particularly with an NDVI looking for more stressed area of the fields. And then that would potentially lead us to go out there and look. And well, is there soil compaction that's creating some issues? Is there what we would potentially call some rootless corn where we are not establishing that nodal root system? Um, in these drier, hotter soils that would be creating problems, you know, if it's soybeans. And again, right in my geography here in southeast Minnesota, and, and this covers northeast Iowa and western Wisconsin, we had a, a 
pretty severe frost here right at the end of May. Utilizing that to get up and, and look for areas where we had frosted areas, both on corn and beans, and a lot of it's recovering. But again, just you can get that UAV up and analyze that whole field to kind of see areas that are not advancing quite as well, or, and then you can, again, go back and ground truth and find out what exactly is going on. So the options that you have is, is just amazing with the different things that you can do with it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, so let's talk about software. So I know you're using Centera's uh, field agent. What is the difference in sort of the options out there? The drones are the drones, right? I think you said everybody is using Mavics. How do you compare what's right for you when it comes to the software piece? Yeah, there are several different options out there uh, to work with. And I mean, just in the simplest form, like I said, we we use the, the DGI Mavics and we use the Phantoms. And so I mean, just with uh, the DGI, they have a DGI Go 4, which is their basic software program that you can just get up and, and do some flying and pictures, video, different things like that. So that would be the most basic form. But if you want to do any type of analysis in the sense and, and fly transects and do the stitch imagery if you're using different filters on your cameras then you need to most often then you know work with some company to do that purchase a package to be able to do it within uh, Bayer and the channel brand Centera has what we need very well just because they create a lot of analytics and scouting type information that works the way that our would go to market with our seedsmen with their um field checkups that they do during the season. So it's it's a really good match from, from with Centera that is very agriculturally based company. And, and from what I understand, it's really their main focus of what they work on. I have also worked with some other companies that probably the other big one out there is Drone Deploy. Um, and I kind of look at them as, I mean, they're a fairly large, but they're, they're kind of into everything, not so much egg-based as Centera would be worked with another one, Precision Hawk, and that was a couple of years ago. But really, the the Centera is one of the main softwares that we're working with right now. And like I said, they're you know putting out new stuff all the time. And we're using the DJI, and these are quadcopters, the, the Mavic 2 Pros. They also have fixed wings that you can utilize. And, and if you're going to be scouting a larger number of acres, you know, if you wanted to cover five, 600 acres in a day, maybe a thousand, then you'd use the fixed wing option. So yeah, like I said, there's several different options out there. You just kind of have to find the one that that really fits your need the best for what you're utilizing it for. Okay. And for you, are you typically flying customers fields or are you flying fields for producing the seed or for R&D of, of testing different varieties or all of the above? Yeah. So personally for myself, flying customer fields, but I mean, we do it all from what you just named. Um, within our breeding research, I know that they're utilizing UAVs and sensors to a much higher capacity than what we would even think of out here in, in just our, our average field landscape. Even within the production side where we're producing our corn and soybean seed to be sold next year, they're utilizing it there as well just to, to be checking their production fields. But um, again, what I'm acquainted with most is what we're utilizing here out in the field, uh, just working with our customers and helping them to, uh, you know, see how their crop is going and potentially identifying problems, but hopefully mostly just looking at awesome crops and 
and tell them how great it's going to be, you know, once we get to harvest time and, and uh, nothing's wrong at this point. So that's kind of, I guess, what, what I'm looking at most of the time. Very cool. Well, yeah, I could definitely see for you why this would be a tremendous tool to have at your disposal. Being in a big company and, and a publicly traded company, I'm sure, you know, you have to justify to your boss and your boss's boss of not only why you like to have this, but why it's a good business decision to pay for it. You know, what, what's sort of the argument there? Well, of course, absolutely. It uh, These things are not uh, cheap when you're when you're buying them at large scale with covering large areas. But yeah, I mean, I think, again, it just it comes down to the value that you're adding Primarily, it's back to the customer, you know, because, again, it's it's what we are able to provide back to our customer for the information that they're gaining off of, you know, not only the product that we're providing to them or selling to them and helping them to, you know, whether it's better manage the product or, again, help validate what they're doing is is great or for trying something different. You know, and I think right now, the more and more we see this, it just it adds a huge amount of value. And. And I think when I look at it, you know, oftentimes within the agronomy industry, you know, we joke if you if you an agronomist come out to the field without a shovel, I mean, that's not a true agronomist. Better have a shovel in your hand whenever you walk into a field to truly analyze what's going on. And, and in my perspective, having a drone or a UAV of some sort is just about becoming that type of tool as well. You know, we oftentimes we look at at eye level what's going on. We often need to dig roots to see what's going on below the soil. But now we have a third perspective. We need to get up on a bird's eye view of, of looking down onto this so that you can really start to see patterns and, and be able to look at an entire field rather than just a micro part of the field at any time that you're walking. So it's becoming, in a sense, a necessity, I think, within the agronomy industry that it's one of those things that... Um, that you just about need to be showing up to a field with and to be able to fully analyze it because, you know, within our industry, if within our brand, if we don't show up with one, there's probably another agronomist with a different company that does and, and they might show up with one and, and be able to provide information that, uh, that we couldn't uh, by not having it. So in a sense, it's, um, it's becoming an easier and easier sell, I guess, to, to the companies, you know, the, the people that are paying the bills to buy all these things, that it, it really is a necessity within the industry. And so you you mentioned kind of using it for stand counts or even cover crop stand counts, which that's kind of cool. And uh, using it to kind of look for crop nutrition issues. I think you mentioned compaction as well. What other kind of uh, basic use cases are you getting out of these drones? You know, if you looked at last year with the derecho that it went through Iowa, I'm sure there were probably more UAVs flown during that time than, than any time put together to get up above a crop and, again, to analyze what percentage of the field is damaged. And, you know, and we kind of talked about that earlier. So that's that's just huge to be able to, to get that type of analysis. But I guess as I'm trying to answer that question, I'm just trying to think through because there's so much of what we're doing that we're just kind of learning as we go as to, well, you know, what am I going to find if I fly this field right now? And I'm not sure that we have all those answers, but I think the more that we're up above these fields and flying them, the more that we're going to find out of things that we can learn from it. That's, that's kind of back to that, you know, a, a solution in, and it's not necessarily finding a problem, but finding information. 
of something that we can utilize. So oftentimes, and particularly in corn, if we're kind of flying it just prior to senescence, so probably late August, early September, as that crop is reaching maturity, and then you can really kind of start to see some differences and maybe some areas in the field that are starting to senesce early versus if it's healthier. But, you know, if we get into mid-season, picking up foliar diseases, I mean, you can do that on the corn side. I mean, it even on soybeans. So if you have, you know, SDS, brown stem rot, this northern geography that I cover, if we get white mold showing up in August, I mean, those are all things that, Again, oftentimes you can pick those up from the road, but it's really hard to conceptualize the amount of the area that, that's being affected. So once you get above it and you can you know, fly a full field and then you can measure those areas out and get a good idea of what's going on. You know, I, I think probably another component is even with corn rootworm, I look at this even from my own operation where a couple of years ago, I was just flying some of my own fields again, just as a learning process. I, just, I try to fly them about every two weeks just to kind of build that historical maps of what's going on. And and this was a field that's kind of in a valley. It was kind of a long field. And, you know, so you're just on the road late July, put the drone up, flew the field, brought it back, actually went on vacation the next two days and doing a little work on vacation, but I was analyzing the imagery and well, lo and behold, here in the back end of the field, there was a bunch of down corn. And so I go, what's that all about? And so get back to vacation, go back and look at it. And here there was a corn rootworm injury. Uh, this was it's longtime corn on cornfield. You know, we've used the traded corn, but resistant Western corn rootworm had populations have built up. Never would have known it was there until harvest if I hadn't been flying it. And Again, you know, I found a problem that I did not know was there and it, it helped me to start planning what I needed to do with that field the following year before we actually got into the harvest of it. So, so again, there's just, there's all different types of possibilities of, of things that you can do, even when you think that you're not going to find something again, whether it's mid to late June, first of July or August. And, and that's where finding the time to put the bird up and, and do some flying with it you might be surprised at what you might find sometimes. Well, the podcast is called Future of Agriculture. You know, with these drones, just in the last few years, it's sounding like really becoming a lot more useful. Project that out in the next five to 10 years. You know, what what do you see coming that might impact the future of agriculture as it relates to this technology we're talking about? Well, I mean, it's probably endless. You know, we have companies now that are out spraying and or utilizing a drone to, you know, apply chemicals, apply cover crops. So that's a pretty cool deal. We're experimenting with that a little bit. Um, again, I have a couple of trials out where I'm going to be doing that. And I know that the Bayer as a whole is, is doing that as well. So, I mean, that's one brand new emerging industry. And I guess it's, it's hard to say it, you know, I've, I've been so buried in just trying to figure out what we can do with it that at the moment, I'm sure there's, there's even greater things. And I think probably the biggest thing will be just in the, the different types of sensors that we can start to utilize and as they become more affordable and easier to understand exactly what's going on. I think that'd be cool. You know, some of the battery life I think would be, will be useful if we get better batteries where you can potentially fly 
larger areas at a given time. Um, that's probably one of the bigger limitations right now is your, you know, if you got any area that you want to cover, and it, it, this is primarily if you're using a, a quadcopter, you know, again, if you have a fixed wing, you can cover larger areas, but with quadcopters, you're pretty limited on, on an area, unless you just really like swapping out batteries all the time and doing that kind of stuff. So battery technology, I think will probably improve. And again, just the, the ease of flying these things. I don't, I don't know how you can get them much easier, but um, being able to do that even easier yet, I'm sure would be neat. Um, you know, flying the swarms of drones, I'm sure will probably be a, a newer thing where you could be flying 10 drones at once. And then you could, really cover some acres in that sense and you know again if you're doing that for applying uh, crop protection products you know and and you know particularly if we're out and we're flying and we're finding you know weed insect disease problems you know with a uav and then you can go out and spot spray with a uav as well just in those areas that need it it's pretty cool stuff and it's cost effective, I would think, and it would also be environmentally friendly in that sense. And so there's just some really cool possibilities there, you know, probably in some of the higher value crops first in that sense before it gets to a, a real crop type situation. And I'm, I'm sure there's just tons of things that are already out there that I don't even know about yet. But um, at least from the perspective as I look at things of, of limitations that I come across, you know, with the batteries and the, the flight time and utilizing them more for spot treatments and stuff. I think that's just all really cool stuff. Great. Well, uh, before I let you go here, anything, Todd, that you would uh, want to add? Uh, you have the floor the last few minutes here. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I guess I've had a really cool perspective of what a, a UAV or a drone can do. And I think a lot of people probably look at it and it's like, Oh, that's just either, you know, one more thing or one more thing that I need to learn or, you know, I won't have time for it. And I would just encourage people that if they haven't uh, invested into a UAV or at least invested into someone that could potentially fly the field for you, I think there's just a huge amount of learning that can be obtained by getting this different perspective on over the top of a field, you know, what I call a bird's eye view of a field. And, and then just, you know, again, taking the time to kind of look and analyze it, what that information is telling you. And, you know, again, hopefully you won't find anything of any big surprise. Um, most likely, and what I found out is that you do. And so I think that's just, you know, really cool. And if we're talking about Sentara, I think, again, it's at least in the egg um, realm of things, there's just the amount of tools that they're coming out with and the different sensors that they're utilizing and being able to catalog all that information for you and help you understand what that information is telling you. I think it's just a, a really good piece of information to have. And for those that are not quite into this realm yet, I think it's it's going to be pretty much a standard here in the next, at least as short as five years. You know, it's kind of like what the satellite industry was 10 years ago, kind of new and cool. Well, now it's, you know, satellite imagery is just pretty common. And you basically have it on everything. And that's, I think that's probably where, where we're going to be with, with UAVs as well, that we'll have that UAV imagery. And we'll, we'll probably be much more focused on what we're utilizing them for and, and what we're looking for as we, as we learn, is this a kind of a waste of time to fly here, there, looking for this or that? We'll hopefully be more focused on um, what we're going for. 
and uh, it's a fast moving industry. So, you know, it's something to jump into and, and kind of learn as you go and or have somebody that, that knows what they're doing and doing it for you. And it's just uh, another piece of the puzzle as we're constantly uh, either fighting the weather or fighting the bugs or disease and insects as we're out in the field and again, trying to stay ahead of everything. And, and this is just another tool in the tool chest or a piece of the puzzle that we can kind of add to the layers and information that we have and and just really just gain the knowledge that we need to do to be able to produce successful crops each each and every given year. Well, thank you very much to Todd Vots for taking the time to be on the show. I thought this was just such a comprehensive perspective about where drone technology has been, why it's becoming more relevant in recent years, and why there's reason to be optimistic about these tools in the future. Thanks to Field Agent by Sentera for sponsoring this episode in the Tech Enabled Advisor series. Go learn more about them at sentera.com. That's S E N T E R A, sentera.com. I was actually reflecting back on my recent episode with Alan Fetters when we were talking about the lack of yield data in specialty crops. It actually got me wondering about Sentera and if a technology like this could be used to figure out this infield variability in specialty crops similar to how they do tassel counts. I don't know if that's on their radar, but I love doing the show because I see little connections like that, and I think there's a ton of possibilities here. But thank you again to Sentera for sponsoring this episode. As always, thanks for your time and your attention. I never take it for granted. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Music.